Whether you're seeking your first developer job or you're looking to move to a new company, your resume is the first thing employers will see. Having a strong resume is what sets you apart from the competition. In this week's episode, we are discussing all things resume building, including what's important to include, what can be skipped, and best practices for creating your resume. Welcome to the Ladybug Podcast. I'm Kelly. I'm Allie. And I'm Emma, and we're debugging the tech industry. Hey, Kelly, have you heard about this cool tool called AWS Amplify? Tell me about it. It's a suite of tools and services that enables developers to build full-stack, serverless, and cloud-based web and mobile apps. You get to use whichever framework or technology you want on the front end. That sounds cool. Will it help me get up and running with things like hosting? Yeah. Authentication? You betcha. Manage GraphQL? Totally. How about serverless functions, APIs, machine learning, chatbots, file storage? Yes to everything! Amplify is built especially in a way to enable traditionally front-end developers, like yourself, Kelly, to be successful because you can use your existing skill set to build real-world, full-stack apps that in the past would require deep knowledge around back-end, DevOps, and scalable infrastructure. The Amplify console also allows you to use a GitHub repository to deploy to a globally available CDN with CI and CD built-in. It's super cool. Where can I learn more? If you want to learn more about AWS Amplify, visit aws-amplify.github.io. So let's talk about resumes. Um, I just got done creating a course about technical resumes, which was like super fun. And I'm really excited to share some of that that content with you all today. But I'm curious, do y'all have resumes? Like, are they recent? What did you use to make them? Tell me everything. I do not have a resume. I have not created a resume since I graduated from grad school, which was in 2014. Of course, I run my own company, so I don't intend on actually applying for a job anytime soon. So my, yeah, I just, I, I don't have one. <laughs> <laughs> so I have one. I have not used it in years and years and years, but I actually just did revamp it. I just went through the process of getting my teacher's permit, which I was just approved for. Very exciting. And I needed a resume in order to get my uh, teacher's permit. And so um, I do have one that is up to date. I built it using Sketch. So I used it almost as a design experiment for me. And I used all of my colors for my personal branding and stuff like that. And I just had fun with it. Um, I don't know if it's the technically the best resume out there but I got good feedback on it from all my friends that I sent it to um but that's my experience with my resume I actually built mine in sketch too I need to update it but um if you are familiar with Figma or Sketch, it's a super fun way to build a resume because you're not uh confined to the traditional layouts and we'll talk about layouts in a little bit but let's talk about like the main part of your resume, which is the content. This is really hard for people. So typically your resume is going to be maximum one page unless you have more than seven years experience in an industry, uh, in a related industry. Um, If you do have more than one or more than seven years of experience, you can extend that out to two pages. But just be mindful that you're Recruiter spends on average about 7.4 seconds looking at your resume. So that means you need to get your layout uh, correct, meaning put the most relevant information at the top. Make sure your formatting is, uh, it looks nice. Uh, you're not using 12 different font families and like absurd colors that are really hard to read. And make sure all of your information is relevant and up to date. So I also get the question a lot of too, like, what's the difference between a CV and a resume? I'm going to ask you both. Do you know the difference? I know the difference. <laughs> CVs are more geared towards academia. 
So I think they're you commonly used interchangeably, but if you're outside of the like the research realm, you're more likely to actually have a resume versus a CV. Uh, a CV tends to go into more detail on the the research you have conducted, the publications that you have put out, whether it's presenting at a conference or uh, you know submitting to a research journal or something like that. You are not fully correct, but it was close. <laughs> That's exactly what I learned in grad school. So we learned two very different things. That is a very Americanized way of thinking because it is true for the U.S. I would say in general, it is primarily meant for academia. But if you're applying for jobs abroad, a CV is the primarily used method of applying for jobs. So... I would say if you're applying in the U.S., like, that's fair. Like, you should probably use a resume. But if you're applying in uh, other countries like the U.K., Germany, a CV is more widely uh, preferred. So Interesting. Um, yeah. Well, why so, don't you go into your description of it then? <laughs> Are you sassy about this now? Kelly's a little salty. I sure am. <laughs> I don't um, like being called out. Salty about CVs. So, first of all, CV stands for Curriculum Vitae, which is Latin for course of life, I think. Um, and... It is a comprehensive overview to your entire professional or educational history, and it is um, it is chronological in order. So I think the the things at the top on the front page are most recent, um, and it goes backwards in time. And it is comprehensive, meaning you are not restricted to one to two pages. Um, additionally, like typically CVs, at least the ones in Europe, um, are expected to have a photo on them. This is very common, but in the U.S., um, we kind of talk about the trade-offs, right? You shouldn't typically put a photo on your resume because it can lead to ageism or unconscious bias, and you don't want that. Your physical appearance has nothing to do with how competent you are for a role. Um, but, you know, when I was applying for jobs in Europe, it was really interesting because they all generally required pictures and they all generally required CVs. So if you're applying abroad, just make sure you're aware of the the accepted formats and things like that. We've kind of talked about length of resume. What are some of the things that you should put on it? I can go through mine real quick. Yeah, go for it. So my first column is my experience. I also have my contact information above there. So I have my email, my GitHub, my Twitter, because I use my Twitter mostly for professional use, though if you were to use your Twitter not for professional use, I wouldn't put that on there. But mine, I think, is a good demonstration of my personal brand. We have an episode on that and how much I hate that term, but I guess it is what it is. I have my portfolio site and then also my blog site listed. And then under that, I have my experience. So all of my jobs that I've had that are relevant to programming. I also then have a column that have has my skills. It has my um, programming languages and frameworks that I use most recently. That's mostly for search engines, right? So that... Um, Usually resumes aren't read by a human first. They are read by some sort of algorithm. And so having some keywords on there is usually important to get past that screening. So I have a little list of the skills and frameworks and stuff that I know. And then I have a community section. So I have some information about speaking and how many talks I've given, um, some awards that I've get, get, um, been received Oh my goodness, that was so awkward. Awards that I've received. Uh, um, and then uh, events that I've organized and been a part of so that I was like the director of Women Who Code. I have Ladybug on there, so you all made it. Um, I also have my blog and some statistics on that. And then I have my education. My last version of my resume actually had my research experience too. Uh, I wrote three theses 
feces in feces. Mm. Oh my goodness, that word is so hard. I don't like this. This sounds like and it sounds like feces, and I don't like it. Yeah, I don't like it. (laughs) I do not enjoy this. Um, Okay, we'll move on from that word. And so I wrote three theses in college, and so I used to have those listed on there because they were all relevant to um, work I was doing as well. This resume it didn't make the cut though so i guess i'm too old to have all of my college stuff on there anymore how about you all what's on your resume that's not really similar to mine i mean we all know kelly doesn't have a resume because she runs her own company because she's a boss ass lady um <laughs> uh no mine sounds really similar in all honesty and it's funny because i also made mine in sketch so we're, we're very similar in that respect um but let's talk about optimal layout because you've got a lot of content, as do I. But if you're just graduating from college from boot camp, um, if you haven't had relevant education experience, we'll get into the specifics of how you should list all those things. But you want to put the most relevant information at the top. So contact information should be displayed first and prominently. It should be accurate, up to date. If you're applying to a role abroad, please list your actual address because a lot of times companies aren't willing to invest in bringing someone over. So it'll save you both the time of figuring that out over a call, for example. In terms of whether you should list experience or education first, it depends. If you've just graduated from some kind of educational program that's relevant, education should go at the top because you likely do not have enough relevant experience to be listed first. However, for people like Allie, uh, who have a lot of different projects and roles that they're exemplify their skills, uh, work experience should definitely come before education. It's the most relevant um, and it'll help you land a, a job interview. Yeah, I would say that's mine. Also, a really important note, um, when you're listing your experiences, state your outcomes, your achieved outcomes instead of your objectives. So don't say like, I held a Python training for my team. Like that doesn't tell me anything. Instead, use quantifiable data, qualitative data. Well, I don't know what the difference of those words is. Numbers. Use numbers. Um, (laughs) Use numbers where you can because they actually quantify. That's what I'm looking for. They quantify your contribution. So you could say held a Python training for 250 employees, which allowed the team to more quickly develop and push out new features, right? So what was the actual benefit of you doing these things? Well, it allows your team to be more productive. Um, Don't just tell me that you, I don't know, implemented accessibility. Why did you implement accessibility? So that everyone can use your product. So be more focused on your outcomes and your achievements over your actual day-to-day tasks. Definitely agree. I have a lot of that. I feel like resumes feel so braggy to write, especially because, um, you know, we're socialized to be humble and to understate our uh, achievements and stuff, I think, in a lot of ways, especially as women, we're socialized for that. But your resume is your place that you're supposed to use that hard data and really not be humble to list all those cold facts and all of those awesome things that you've done. So my resume definitely has a lot of numbers on there. I have NPS scores. Um, I have how many people I've led. Uh, I have stats on my blog. I have stats on the listenership for this podcast. Like how many people, all of the things that I um, do, how, how many people that reaches. Also to note, under your work experience, it's much easier as a recruiter or owner or whatever you want to call yourself, myself. Hell I don't know. <laughs> Words, you know, <laughs> it's much easier to read a 
resume quickly when you're using bullet points and you're not writing everything out in paragraphs. Use text hierarchy to make things skimmable. You don't have unlimited amount of time for that person to read your resume. So if you make it so that they can read the main points in so little time, that's going to give you a big leg up. So I have things that are bolded, some things that are italicized. I use white space so that there's separation between different points. I use different sizes of text for different things. Like using that visual hierarchy and also white, um, white space is so important in order to tell the eye where to go and what to look at first. And let's talk about design because this does lead into the design do's and don'ts for creating a resume. Um, Yeah, use italics and bolded text where appropriate, but don't overdo it because if everything looks bold, then they're just they're going to be like, this looks terrible. Next. Uh, Thank you. Next. Um, So (laughs) um, when you're thinking about your design and we'll talk about tools you can use to build it, um, if you're using like a word processor or a resume creator, they'll come with pre-made templates and there's not going to be a lot of leeway on design, which is good and bad. If you're good with design, it's kind of a hindrance, right? Because it prevents you from being more creative. If you're bad with design, it takes away the the stress of having to come up with a good design. But here are some do's and don'ts. Um, Don't use more than two font families in your resume. Uh, If you're going to use two font families, a sans serif and a serif are typically you know, a good pairing. And if you go to Google fonts, they will have recommended pairings that you can use for your resume. But use something that's easily readable. Don't use like really hard to understand monospace font and things like that. Um, In terms of color scheme, figure out what color palettes work. Um, Understanding color theory is going to be important to make sure that your websites, your resume is like everything that you do. If you use color, understanding basic color theory of what colors pair well together is going to be very helpful. So, you know, this isn't a design episode and we could do a whole episode about like, (laughs) like basic design skills. Um, But in general, there are several different methods for creating color palettes. um, And there are tons of tools we can link in the in the show notes as well. But monochromatic color palettes. So you choose one shade on the color palette and you use different hues within that shade um, are very safe. They're a really great choice if you're going to be creating a resume because it is a professional document. You can use something like triadic where you have the color wheel and you choose three different colors that are equidistant on the color wheel. These are going to help you stand out, but they're also um, a little bit crazier. So like if you're in a more traditional professional role um, as opposed to a tech job, I wouldn't necessarily recommend a triadic color palette, but they're really great in the tech industry because we have room to be creative. Um, You could also do... uh, complementary color palettes. So those are going to be two colors that are, I think, opposite each other on the color wheel. So that would be like blue and orange, I believe, are are complementary colors. These also are really nice. Um, But yeah, if you're uncertain, monochromatic, so different shades of purple or blue are are just a safe bet. Just uh, make sure that it's legible. So like don't use like lime green chartreuse font on a white background. Um, Keep it like still professional. It is a professional document. I just really want to drive that point home about the company that you're applying to. Be very mindful of what that company is going to expect in terms of uh, professionalism. Some do not want to see a super creative, colorful resume. Like it is an immediate turnoff for some companies. Mine is actually rainbow and I'm not kidding. Um, So if you've been to my website, like alispit.tell, it has my name in rainbow and it also has shapes. If you click anywhere, random color shape comes up and so the design of my resume is actually based off of my portfolio site so it has the rainbow text for my name but all the text is in black and white so it's really easy to read 
And then I have some hints of the little shapes interspersed as well. But then again, I'm not using this to really apply for jobs. It's for um, just kind of more personal experiment more than anything. But Yeah. And as a quick uh, shout out to a, a, co- a company, I guess, I really like. It's called CV Compiler. And it basically, it does an analysis of your, we- of your website, of your resume. It compares it to other really great resumes that would be submitted for a role of that specific type. It'll tell you what language you should use or like change. Like maybe you're using four different words to convey uh, a one word, right? So being concise and intentional with your language. It can also tell you like, hey, maybe you want to rearrange these sections and put your work experience above education because it's more relevant. Uh, and it'll tell you where you kind of stack up against your competition and the improvements you should make. We'll link them in the show notes. It's really, really great. Really, uh, it is. I think it's paid, but honestly, it's worth it if you're really looking for a job. Would recommend. I think I'm still bitter about you calling me out on the CV versus resume thing. Well, <laughs> your answer was correct from an American perspective, but we also get like tunnel vision for these things, right? Like you only know what you've experienced in life. And so like you weren't wrong. It was just, you know, in other parts of the world, it wouldn't be correct. I think I've just spent too much time in academia. And while I don't like do that now, I spent so much time in school and doing research and getting two master's degrees that all I know is academia. <laughs> Amazing. So on the other side of that, a lot of people don't have formal computer science education, like actually me and uh, Kelly to some extent too. To full extent. <laughs> full extent, Yeah. And so if you don't have a formal education in computer science or in programming, how do you feature that on your resume? Emma, as the expert, do you want to start? I have some thoughts too, but. Yeah. So if you attended a boot camp or, so let's start with, there are a couple scenarios. So the first is, let's say you have a degree, but it's not relevant to the job you're applying for. Um, you you can list it, but again, I would push your education to the bottom of your resume. And also, another tip is maybe don't list your graduation year. It's not relevant. Um, and it can lead to ageism, both if you're a new college grad as well as if you are older. Um, so if you're a new college grad, right, uh, some companies, they have the unconscious bias that recent college grads are a little flighty and they won't stick around for very long. So just leave off your graduation year. Not a big deal. If you didn't graduate from your program and it was a technical degree, you can do a couple of things. You can l- remove your, your education completely. You don't have to list it. Or you can choose to list specific courses you took, which would help you in this role. Um, if you attended a boot camp, I think this is a great thing to add. You should list the program name, the location, so the city and state, the month and year that you attended. So this is another important thing. If you are writing dates for a, a work experience, um, so I, while I wouldn't necessarily list the date on a boot camp or college degree, for example, if you're listing it for work experience, list the month and, and year. Because if you worked somewhere from like, uh, I don't know, like March of 2018 to... Uh, I don't know, like, I forget the the numbers, and I'm totally going to mess this up. So like, if you can short sell yourself, if you just say 2018 to 2019, it seems like you worked there for one year, but you might have two years of experience there. I forget exactly how this works out. So don't quote me. Um, so list the month and date. But yeah, in terms of boot camps, list your program name, list the location that you went and took it. And also maybe link to some relevant projects that you had have them on your GitHub if, if possible, because they'll exemplify your skills. And coming from a boot camp, um, I think we're slowly changing the stigma, but in the past, you've 
you know, typically boot camp, people have had to work a little bit harder, unfortunately, to prove that they know their stuff. Uh, this is a completely wrong mindset. And I'm sure, Ali, you have thoughts on this as well. Um, but list relevant projects that can just showcase your experience. Yeah, definitely. So feature your projects that you did at the boot camp if you want, especially if you did a really big capstone that... <clears throat> showed off your experience also normally you'll have group projects at boot camps and definitely feature that on there too that you've worked with other developers and that you know how to do that maybe if you taught yourself something in addition to what you learned at boot camp list that on there too um show that you're self-motivated and can teach or yourself new things too so i think definitely featuring your projects on there is an important thing to do and that's what i had too for my old resumes when had a little bit less experience in the field is that I had my personal projects listed on my resume too. Um, one thing you mentioned earlier, Allie, was awards and certifications. And these are wonderful things to add to your resume. I don't know why I saw that so weird. Um, so <laughs> it does feel a little bit braggy to put these things on your resume. But you just remember too that like your competition isn't having that second guess in their head of like, oh, should I add this? It's like, no, they're adding it. And they are trying their hardest to get this job. So if you are sitting there thinking like, well, you know, like, is it a little braggy of me to like, say I got an award, do it. It exemplifies the fact that leadership or someone of to some level of authority has, has recognized your contributions. That is put it on there and um, put it on your LinkedIn profile as well. LinkedIn, um, we'll talk about social media at the end of this uh, episode, but social media, specifically LinkedIn, I know there's a lot of issues maybe with the platform. Maybe you don't use it. Um, but I've also, I think I got my current job through LinkedIn. So having your awards and certifications listed on your profile is great uh, for the reasons I just mentioned. But for certifications, it shows you really like learning. What are your thoughts on that? I definitely have my awards listed on there. I'm proud of them. And having them on there, uh, I think is important because I've gotten awards both at work and then also for community work as well. And so I have all of that on there to show that my performance at work has been good and also that I have been involved in the community. I think it's also really important to think about the goal for your resume. We talked about this with portfolio sites, but think about the types of roles that you're applying to. I think we focus a lot on new engineers. So they're maybe trying to get uh, their first role. And so this is really important for them. But also if you're trying to get even further in your career, so if you're trying to um, maybe even go for like C-level positions or you're trying to get principal roles or ma management roles or to get a community role or a developer advocate role, make sure that you're featuring those things on your resume that make you a great candidate for those roles. So tailor your resume to the different positions that you're looking at. So the, this advice might look different depending on what type of role you're looking at. And as you escalate in your career, showing your leadership skills um, might be more important than listing that you know HTML, for example. For sure. And I there are a couple other things that people are typically uncertain if they should add. Um, hobbies is one of them. Uh, and my rule of thumb is like, is it relevant to your job in any way? And if it is, go for it. So Allie, one thing you might want to put on there is that you blog. Technically, it's a hobby. Uh, you may or may not get paid for it. Not a big deal. It's just not your primary day-to-day -day 
professional job. Um, so if it's relevant, like if you were applying for a dev advocacy role, like adding all your conferences on there would be great. If you are a part-time connoisseur of cooking, uh, can't say that's necessarily relevant to a programming job, so maybe leave that off. Um, people don't need to know that you dress your cat up in small cowboy outfits and take professional photos of them. Um, <laughs> I don't do this. You know, I don't know why I brought that up. Um, <laughs> so, so only add things if they're relevant. Oh, wait. Is, is that Luna in the background wearing a cowboy hat? Oh, shoot. I, I didn't bring that from you? Texas. No, it's fine. Um, <laughs> um the other thing people are are always curious, and I was curious about whether or not I should add this, is an objective or like a, an introductory statement. I forget no, the other okay. word for it. Uh, an objective and a, a summary. Like a mission a statement? A summary. summary. Yeah, I guess mission statement. That's a little more <laughs> corporate. Um, so it, objectives and summary. So objectives um, tell an employer what you're looking for. This is really good if you've just graduated from college and you don't have a ton of work experience. You can be like, hey, I'm a Java developer looking to enhance my Java skills by working on a full stack application at an enterprise company. Uh, that was a lot of buzz- buzzwords. Um, so those are really good if you are, you know, don't have a lot of work experience versus summaries are a summary of you. It's like the Spark Notes edition. I actually have one of these on my my resume, but it's very colloquial. So it's using very informal language of like, hey, I'm Emma. I'm a software engineer and I moved from Texas and sold everything and moved to Europe. It's like we're in an industry where it can be it's more acceptable to be more colloquial. That's one of my favorite words um, about these things because we're in a creative industry. Um, so you may or may not want to add it. If you have the space, go for it. If you don't, don't worry about it. Um, and then I think the last thing was uh, references. What are your uh, what are your opinions on this? Do you add references to your resume? Everyone I see just puts like references available references available upon request, which to me is you know if I'm if I'm going to be hiring you, the last thing I'm going to be doing is still I'm going to be checking for references. So I don't really care if you mention it on your resume or not because I'm going to ask for them anyway. So I feel like save that space on your resume, use it for something else, or add more white space. Um, that yeah, is I just correct. Don't think it's necessary Yay. To put on there. <laughs> oh, good. I got something right. <laughs> I think I did that wrong when I was starting out. I think I didn't add them. To Kelly's point, like, if you don't have the space for it, leave it off completely. If you do have the space, you could add references available upon request, but you should never add them. Um, in general, uh, it's not gonna like use Jondo's phone number. Yeah, it's not gonna kill your your ability to get a job interview, but. What it does is A, takes up valuable real estate because that is a valuable real estate that's something else, whether that's listing your skill sets or things like that, that could take up. But also, like you mentioned, Kelly, asking for references is something that's going to be done after the interviewer is pretty certain they want to give you a job offer. It's kind of just wrapping up the process. So you don't need it on your resume because you'll have already been through the interviews before they ask you for that. Um, Although personally, I've never been asked for references theme but i do reference checks for students all the time so apparently some companies do i ask for references and you know the it's it i ask for them but i also realize that i need to take those references with a grain of salt because nobody is going to ask for reference from somebody who just did not like them but to be fair you also run a smaller company so the stakes the stakes are higher for you yeah for sure uh but i mean like even my husband works for a larger company known as well it doesn't really matter but i mean (laughs) he does he though kelly because now i don't believe you okay he works for the intercontinental exchange which is the parent company for the new york stock exchange they own markets all over the world and do a lot of things i don't understand 
So anyway, everyone really confuses it. So they're headquartered here in Atlanta, but also Intercontinental Hotels Group is headquartered here in Atlanta, which means everybody thinks that he works for Intercontinental Hotels Group and that he gets like free hotel benefits. And that definitely is not a thing. Anyway, he has he always does reference checks for everybody as well. So it's a, I mean, it's a it's definitely pretty common to see in in large companies and, and a lot of small companies as well. But the fact being you know, I just don't think I'm ever going to hear from somebody who is not going to give a good recommendation. And there are also like legalities around what you can say negatively in a reference request. Would like if I were to ask or somebody were to ask me about a previous employee that I may be like fired for whatever reason, I can't say that they were a terrible employee. I can only say, yes, they they worked for me in the past and that's all I have to offer. Yeah, this is another thing, too. Uh, Your references can make or break your ability to get an offer. So if you list someone as a reference, please be certain they're not going to trash you. Um, And (laughs) if you quit a job in an unprofessional way, it can totally destroy morale between you or, like, your relationship. So actually, I'm going to link a blog post in the notes. Um, I wrote a post about how to quit your job and not burn bridges in the process. Um, Knowing how to quit a job is kind of a skill. And it's a hard skill. It absolutely is. It's not a fun thing to do. But if you do leave a job, leave it in such a way that you can ask people for references and you know that they're going to talk highly of you. Unless, you know, you're leaving a job with a that was a toxic environment and you have no intention of asking mm-hmm. for references. But still, it's a good professional thing to, to know how to do. For my story, I worked for a company for two years and then I quit and worked part-time for them and now I work for them full-time again so if you leave on good footing then maybe you can go back someday if you decide that's something you want to do okay um how about the actual technical side of making a resume should you use a resume builder or um what tools should you use and I think Emma is going to be our expert here um you should actually hand scribe it on a uh, a piece of slate actually like get someone to engrave it and then like mail it to the company because that's going to set the best impression I expect all of my resumes to be paperweights as well so <laughs> God, I'm such a loser. The most basic tool that you can use is a word processor. So Google Docs has resume templates, uh, Microsoft Word as well, but that is a paid application. There are benefits and drawbacks to this. The benefit being they're very easy to use. um, And ones like Google are in the cloud, so they're going to be very easy to access and update. And you don't have to worry about design. The downside is it's going to look like everyone else's because everyone else is probably using the same thing. Um, Another tool you could use is a... A resume builder where they physically walk you through each step of the process, like entering each job piece of job information and stuff like that. So it's very user friendly. Again, there's not much room to play with the design. And but they're also like easy to update information as you know things change. The last tool that Ali and I both used are design tools. So Sketch is an example, Figma is another example. If you have any visual design skills whatsoever, these are really great. They are a little harder to use. They require some knowledge on how to actually use these tools, but they will allow you to create fully custom designs. If you're bad with design, this can be hard because uh, it might end up looking terrible. So like I always go on Dribble and look for um, uh, design inspiration. We'll link Dribble in the in the show notes. It's a really great site for It's basically like the GitHub for designers where they just go and they share their designs. Great place to get inspiration. Um, so the benefit is- It's also a great place to see the things that I put on Dribble a long time ago that I'm now embarrassed about. Did you really? Oh, yeah. 
We're going to link Kelly's awful drawings in the show notes. Um, I am deleting them <laughs> right now. <laughs> so I think, I mean, that's a benefit where like your resume is not going to look like everyone else's. But the downside is um, if you're using Sketch, for example, it's really not super easy to update your information. And you have to have your computer on you because it is a like a desktop application. Figma is uh, web-based, so you can access it, you know, on the internet, but it requires you to have internet access to actually update these things. Um, so, you know, pick your poison. Uh, if you're just starting out, I'd recommend a, a word processor or a resume builder. Okay, I have a question for you. And this is this might be a self-critique of myself. We talked a little bit about how most resumes are actually read by a computer or by a machine instead of by a person, at least at first. How does that machine or that computer process resumes that are built in something like Sketch versus a word processor? No freaking clue. Um, <laughs> so, okay. uh, no, I, I don't think that's fully true. So basically, you want to export your resumes to a PDF format. Those are going to be the safest. Um, the doc and docx formats, while generally accepted, actually some programs will block them through email attachment because they can contain viruses. So I would definitely save it as PDF. And additionally, what that's going to do is, is preserve your formatting. So, uh, you know, as opposed to like a doc or docx where it won't preserve your formatting. Um, I think when you provide a PDF version to these algorithms, they're probably trained on that. Um, I wouldn't focus like they're I don't know. I would assume that they're trained on on reading like textual content from a PDF. So I wouldn't focus so much on like, is it going to be okay? I mean, and this is another thing we're going to talk about in the February book club, which might be out by the time we do this. Invisible women, uh, data bias and a world design for men, I think is what it's called. Um, They talk about like how these algorithms can hinder a female or a woman programmer's ability to like get a job interview or be contacted because by nature they will like siphon out or they'll like rank men's stuff higher because like the men were the ones programming the algorithms and I think like the data sets that they trained them on were geared more like with men's portfolios or resumes um by default I I don't know if it works the same with resumes though I'd be interested because it talked about like portfolios or like job applications didn't talk about resumes but i'd be curious if like the algorithms are using to, to read these resumes also has a data bias there there's also been studies that less european sounding names tend to get filtered as well but i think that those are all on humans instead of the computers i wonder if the computers ignore names i don't know this is all really it's all interesting sad conversation but it's interesting too yeah i think the big takeaway here is like there's no right i mean yeah there are guidelines that you should use while creating a resume but um you know don't let it stress you out (laughs) like you're gonna if you follow the basic steps of like understanding layout of um not going overboard with the design exporting it to a pdf over you know a doc docx format um those simple steps and these tips that we've talked about can really help your chances. So don't freak out if like um, it's using the wrong hue of blue, like it's it's robin egg blue and it should be navy blue. Um, it's going to be fine. Like you're going to be okay. Um, and if it takes a long time to hear back from a recruiter, just remember that we all struggle with this. Um, it doesn't really matter who you are, how long you've been in the industry. It takes a long ass time to talk to a human in a lot of cases and just don't let that get you down. Oh, also... Um, make sure you proofread your resume. I feel like we bring this up like every episode about something, but like 
run it through something like Grammarly or some other text processing service that's going to check your grammar and your spelling and make sure that you didn't typo because that's kind of a bad look if you have um, things misspelled or something like that. I will never forget the time that I wrote a cover letter for uh, an internship and I started with to whom it may concern. And it wasn't until like two weeks after I applied for the internship that I realized that I accidentally typed two as T-W-O instead of T-O. <laughs> oh, no. Needless to say, oh. I did not get that internship. Homonyms are hard. Yeah, it's really hard. So use, an, use a tool to help you, but it's one of those things that it'll look a lot more professional if you do kind of run things through a grammar checker. I mean, not only that, just like checker. even if you're not a native English speaker and you have to write a resume in English. Um, for those of us who are native in English, um, we still use tools like this. Like, there's no shame in using a tool like this. I think it's really, really helpful. And also, it can help you with your vocabulary as well. For sure. So, to wrap this up, also, we can use other sites to bolster our resume as well. So, your resume is just kind of a static piece of paper, but there are other sites as well to use to. Um, show your experience. So we've talked about having a portfolio site. We can link our portfolio site episode. Also, people use GitHub as a resume of sorts and LinkedIn too. Another thing that I've seen recently that I love is that people looking for jobs will have a searching page on their portfolio that will have a listing of all the things that they're looking for in a company and their experience. And I just absolutely think that that's an incredible idea, especially if you're somebody with more experience and can be a little bit more choosy. So if I were to go on a job hunt, I would definitely do that at this point in my career. That's a really cool idea. Yeah. That can be hard, though. Like, if you're if you're searching for jobs but your employer doesn't know, like, that can be really difficult as well. Um, that's also a tricky thing to navigate, right? Like, if you're looking for jobs, how do you do that? Like, how do you let people know if that you're searching without telling your current employer? Yeah, this was all for people that either were self-employed and moving to companies or who had quit a job or been laid off or something like that mm. who were looking for a new thing. But I really, really love that idea. And if I were to search for a job, I think that that's a thing that I would build at this point. Any other sites that people should keep up to date as kind of a moving resume? Ah, I can't think of any, but I also just want to explicitly state that like having a fully fledged github having a portfolio um all these things are very time consuming and and oftentimes there it's honestly it's kind of a privilege to be able to have the time to devote to filling these things out so if you can't devote a lot of time if you have family if you work two jobs if you know for whatever reason if you can't have a github if you can't have a portfolio like it's okay um it's definitely a privilege to be able to to have the time to spend on those things so for sure should we do a rapid fire round of shout outs? Yes, except I want to go last because I can't think of one. I'm going to shout out our editor, Chris, because he's been really great to work with. And uh, even though he called us out with our terrible clapping tests at the, be- <laughs> at the beginning to align our audios, which is hilarious, he's been he's been really great. Yeah, um, I normally kind of deal with the editors and working with Chris has been the best thing ever has made my job so much easier and I feel like our sound quality has really improved too so massive shout out to Chris at Lemonhead Projections we'll link him in the show notes both his Twitter and his company Um, my shout out goes to Verity I think that um, my shout outs are kind of like Allie's personal book club sometimes (laughs) but um, I just uh, 
finished this book Verity and it has so many twists and turns to it and oh my goodness it kept me up and I had to go on a long walk to go and finish the audiobook for it but it is so good um Emma how about you I want to shout out to the LinkedIn learning team. Um, so if you kind of enjoyed this podcast, but you want something visual that you can go off of, I created a course. I just finished filming it. Uh, I flew back, what, two days ago. I'm a little jet lagged. Um, all about technical resumes. It, it's really useful for anyone looking to create a resume in general, um, but it has tangible tips. I think I've also included some like worksheets there as well that you can physically fill out to make sure you've got everything covered. So I want to shout that out and we'll link that in the show notes as well once that's released, hoping that's in March. Um, but I, I want to shout out to the team because they were incredible to work with. And um, the LinkedIn learning platform, formerly known as lynda.com, has been uh, something I've used for a long time and they were such a pleasure. Amazing. Cool. Well, Emma, you want to send us off? No. No, I think we should stay. <laughs> Just uh, keep the episode going forever. <laughs> if you like this episode, tweet about it. We love to read your tweets and your feedback. Um, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I mean, honestly, these are the things that warm our hearts and that keep us going. Um, and to give back, we are giving away a Smashing Magazine book. We've got things from Design Systems. Um, what are the other ones we have? Uh, performance. That's just like an accumulation of different Smashing Magazine books that we have to give away to you as a thank you. Um, so if you want to win one of those, tweet about our episode um, and we'll pick one each week to win. We've already given away quite a few. So we post new podcasts every Monday. Make sure to subscribe to be notified and leave us a review. And with that, I hope y'all have a fantastic day of the week that you are listening to this. Bye.